You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Howdy, folks. It's your boy, Doc Coyle, and this is the X-Man Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Your support could not be more appreciated. Um, it's been a couple weeks. That's how, how that's how I've been doing the show, kind of two shows a month, something like that. I try not to go too far beyond that. Hopefully, you know, things pick up, maybe I can get them out even more often, maybe once a week, maybe every 10 days. We shall see, but I'm a, I'm a busy son of a bitch. But to be truth, truth be told, since I've gotten off the tour from filling in with Darkest Hour, I've been a lazy bastard. I don't know what it is. You get off tour, you know, I, I had a busy, like two months leading up to that and, and, and homeboy is just tired as shit, you know, just lazy, you know, got crumbs on your chest and just don't even just don't even do nothing about it you know that's just, just just being nasty you know thinking about going to the gym and then you think about it so much you you convince yourself you actually went to the gym you know i mean that's just that's 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 not efficiency you know so that's what's been going on i've been trying to get out you know trying to get the the engine up and up and running again because here's the thing when i'm not being productive i feel kind of crappy. I get a little depressed. I need to be doing something, need to be making something, creating something, working toward a goal. So uh, I'd say as far as what's going on right now, uh, my band, my new band, Bad Wolves, just played our first show in Orange County. Uh, we played with that band, uh, Power Flow, a new super group. Um, and it was sick. It was really awesome. Jose Mangan, uh, from Sirius XM Radio, put the show on. He killed, you know, he's he's been supporting the band a lot, uh, playing our song on Liquid Metal a shitload. People have been hitting me up. Yo, you on the radio? I'm like, yeah, it's exciting. So uh, that was really sick, you know, for especially as far as first shows go, those can usually be pretty brutal. So... I, you know, I feel really happy about the way that turned out. We busted our ass rehearsing and, you know, those songs are not easy to play and, and we, we got it to something presentable. So there's a lot going on with that band. Um, not too much I can talk about at this moment, but it's really exciting. Uh, my other band, Vegas Nerve, we're about to release a new music video and we're also going to be doing 
a couple shows in the Northeast, like tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Philly area. So I'm actually working on that right now. Hey, if you want to book Vegas Nerve um, and you're in those areas, hit me up. You know, we need we need gigs. Uh, what else is going on? Um, this episode, I actually do not have a guest. I was running, you know, I, I could see that the time was coming up for another episode and I have some interviews coming up this week, but I didn't have anything ready to go. So I thought, you know, let me do an episode where I take questions from fans, supporters, friends, and that's, I kind of avoided it for a while because everyone does it. It, it felt a little bit hack, but at the same time, there are so many people who do support the show. There are so many people who do hit me with random questions online and you all kind of answer them one-on-one, but I think it's kind of, you know, to me, this is like giving back to everybody and give you a voice. And so that's what we're going to do in this episode. I took a bunch of questions on Facebook. Um, and, but before we do that, we're actually going to do a little ad read for Jabberjaw Media, which is the podcast network I am part of. And the show I want to highlight right now is called O Marks the Spot, the Outer Loop podcast. It is designed to give listeners a behind the scenes look at the most interesting happenings from week to week at the label slash management company. Host Mike Mowry and Outer Loop staff members Lance Rowe, a graphic designer, and Susie Lee, project coordinator, discuss what it takes to run a label from every aspect, highlighting the successes and challenges from week to week. And uh, I have listened to that podcast and um, Mike is the guy that brought me in to this whole thing. And he's one of the founders of Jabberjaw Media. So definitely check that out if you're more interested in the industry side of things. With that said, let's get into some fans questions. So first, so these are all pretty much going to be from Facebook. I have one from Twitter and I'll get to that. But this one is from Steve Klein. And it is, who is your biggest influence on guitar? Now, first off, I kind of want to say, you know, when it comes to asking questions and me being someone who's been in a band and has done a million interviews over many years, and now also being a media member, you know, someone who interviews people, I really have to think about kind of the quality of the questions. And this is something I'm going to challenge you guys, you know, when you're asking someone you are a fan of, um, you know, but you're going to ask them a question, really try and think about, uh, <laughs> uh, really try and think about something that isn't too cliche or something they don't get asked all the time. Because the truth is you could probably Google this stuff and find an interview of someone, uh, answering this particular question. And I would say the influence question is probably one of the ones we get asked the most. So I will answer the question, but just kind of put putting that out there to to be kind of mindful of that because it's you know at the end of the day you want the person answering the question to be engaged and intrigued. So my favorite guitar player is Slash. Now, would you listen to my guitar playing and say you can hear Slash the most perhaps when I play guitar solo? I, I actually don't know. It's 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 difficult to to say, you know, especially me being being me and, and not really having an objective view. But if I had to say, if you heard me play, who is my biggest influence? It'd probably be James Hetfield. And it's not on purpose, I don't think. It's not that I sat there and said, I want to sound like James Hetfield. I just think 
learning those songs as a young guitar player and wanting to emulate that sound to kind of a T, you know, it just becomes part of your playing DNA, you know, so, and that, you know, I could sit there and practice, uh, Eddie Van Halen solos all day, but will I ever sound like Eddie Van Halen or where his playing rub off me in that manner? It's it's really hard to say. The next question is from Brad Deer. And by the way, I apologize if I pronounce any of your guys' names wrong. Um, from Brad, what's the first thing you think of when you get off of a tour bus? I don't really understand this question. I mean... <laughs> What's the first thing? I mean, I'm, if I'm getting off the tour bus, I'm probably trying to find the venue. You know, sometimes you wake up in some random city. You don't know if you're in a parking lot somewhere or some strange, dangerous city. So that's usually a, a little a little weird, just trying to find out where things are. If, you know, if you have a good tour manager or the band you're opening up for is, is real smart, they'll have signs um, letting you know where to go because they know musicians are are pretty dumb. Uh, this question is from Alexander Haber. How is playing in Vegas Nerve different than Bad Wolves? Well, it's it's dramatically different. Uh, Vegas Nerve, I wrote, mo I'd say ninety percent of the actual music, so it's it really is me. And when you're playing something you wrote, there's you don't have to translate it. It's really just a, it's a very natural expression and and Vegas Nerve for me was something I did really purposeful because I, I believed coming off all those years playing God forbid where you're the music really is like a uh, a physical task to uh, to try and accomplish you know and, and in many ways the God forbid we wrote above our our ability and then every day you get on stage you're trying to kind of uh, fight, tackle this mountain. Whereas Vegas Nerve, I'm almost trying to go against these inclinations as a writer to to play things that are difficult for the sake of being difficult. It's like this uh, meditation on 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 simplification. But even uh, the first record we did is is pretty intricate, you know. And I'm actually writing new songs. I'm trying to get even more simple as a way of going against what my instincts tell me to do. Uh, with Bad Wolves, uh, I didn't write the music. And the style is so, it's very new school. It's that, you know, it comes from that kind of gent world and there's different um, types of rhythmic playing that I really wasn't familiar with and there's different approaches. So it's really like I had to open myself up to this whole new style and it's been really uh, challenging. I remember the first day jamming with, it was just me and John Berklin and I was thinking, I was like, damn, maybe maybe I can't do this, <laughs> you know, but the, you know, but it's like anything, you just keep doing it, you work on it and there's still plenty I have to work on, but I feel confident now and be able to pull this stuff off and, and play it well. Whereas at the beginning it was, it was whooping my ass. Uh, this question is from Renee Benton. Do you listen to any funk bands from the seventies or eighties? If so, who and why? Um, he has another question. Do you work out or train? If so, how often? Um, <clears throat> as far as funk, it's it's weird. I've I've kind of realized like some of my favorite records in the last few years are, are like Daft Punk's new album, and um, you know I really love like the first Michael Jackson record, which you know I and I don't know the kind of through line between funk and what became disco, but there's definitely something about that sound that that is really appealing to me. Just the uh, the groove element, 
um, <clears throat> I was playing in this cover band, uh, this rock cover band back in the day and, you know, got to learn some like Sly Stone stuff and even some of the, um, uh, uh, Lenny Kravitz track always on the run. So there's definitely, you know, I, I say this when it comes to that type of rhythmic guitar playing funk guitar playing is something that I really want to work on and get better at. Um, I'm a big Nuno Bentoncourt fan and his funk chops are ridiculous. And it's, and it's for a guy, like when you, when you're playing metal, metal's all about sounding rigid and kind of like a machine and playing funk guitar and rock guitar. It's all about being loose and having a pocket. So it's something that I still feel like I need to, uh, do some work on and, and, you know, learn some Niles Rogers stuff and go back and learn some old chili peppers. But, um, you know, I'm not the biggest expert in the world, but it's definitely a genre I really appreciate. Um, and do I work out? Not as much as I would like, not as much as I used to. I had a back injury back in October and it's really restricted how much weight training I can do. A lot of my stuff now is really just cardio, stretching and core work. Uh, cause I'm trying to get, better. <laughs> and hopefully I can uh, incorporate some yoga and stuff, which I'm the biggest procrastinator. I've been trying to get into yoga for like three or four years and I just, you know, keep pushing it off. So hopefully I can do that, get healthier, and then also play basketball. That was another, you know, one of my favorite things to do. And, and because of my injury, I haven't been able to play. So next question from Jason Amaya. How do I manage to keep my tone and playing style separate from current and previous bands? Uh, I guess this kind of uh, tags on to the, the question I asked before. I mean, the truth is, if, if I wrote it, I know how it's supposed to sound. If I didn't write it, it's my job to get as close to what the recording or whomever, you know, wrote it wants it to be or whoever the kind of band leader. Because I'm in that situation, like I just played with Darkest Hour. I have to make it sound like Darkest Hour. I'm still going to sound like me, you know, especially on things like vibrato and the, just the way your actual hand sounds. But that's your job when you're filling in or with the Bad Wolves thing. I My goal is to make it sound as close to the record as possible. And, you know, and hopefully there are still points where I can be myself, but that's that's the job. And, you know, same thing. Like I, I use these EVH 5153 amps. And they're so versatile, I really can tailor that for almost any uh, any band I play with. So next question is from Britton Garrick Severson, or Severin, excuse me, uh, top 10 favorite bands. Uh, usually something like this, I like to make a list, but I didn't, I didn't do it. So I'm, I'm going to be doing this kind of off the top of my head. Uh, Metallica, number one, for damn sure. The Beatles, Michael Jackson, Alice in Chains. Faith No More, I don't even know how many that is. Um, Guns N' Roses, probably Radiohead, I don't know, Dr. Dre or Jay-Z, I don't know who I'd who I, who I put at, at the top there. Uh, Deftones, uh, Amy Winehouse's first record is probably like my probably top 10 favorite album, so I don't know if that makes me, makes her my favorite band, you know, and there's a lot of bands I think when it comes to the metal realm it's hard to like rate one above the other. Like how do I rate uh, at the gates above in flames or arch enemy Opeth or Gojira or Mastodon or some, some of these bands. So it's definitely, I like so much stuff I, in, in many ways. I, I don't like to 
to dice it up. Oh, Muse is one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite brands. So I probably got close to 10 there. And, you know, I like so much stuff. So, and I think also you have different things you like at different periods of your life, right? So like when I was 18, my favorite band might've been For the Love of local New Jersey band. Or now I might be, you know, Baroness might be my favorite band for that year or something like that. So I think it, it does alter, but you know, generally the stuff I did like, I always tend to like. Uh, we have one from Craig Marshall with a K. Doc, I admire your work ethic and how well-spoken written you are. Well, thank you. Um, I'm trying. All those uhs and ums. From one deep thinker to another, I would love to know a bit about your background beyond music. Uh, there's not too much to tell. I mean, I, I started doing the band you know, as a, in high school, when we were 16 and we were called Manifest Destiny, then we were called Insalubrious, <laughs> Insalubrious, and then we became God Forbid. And I graduated high school, went to college for one semester, quit, started working with the guys in the band doing um, landscaping work. And then I worked at Kinko's for a year. And within that time, pretty much from leaving college, um, and I think that was 1999, we, you know, we had, God forbid, had a record deal and we started touring in 2000. And that's what I did pretty much for the next 10, 11 years. And then when the band started dying down, that's when I started bartending at the bar Duff's in Brooklyn. And I kind of did that part time while God forbid did our uh, last record equilibrium. And I was also doing that. I started doing like security in New York at a few different places, you know, cause I never really had regular jobs. I would have shitty um, minimum wage jobs, you know, doing just dumb things. I worked at Walmart one time stocking shelves overnight. And then, so when God forbids, you know, when I, when I essentially decided to quit, God forbid, I was already doing Vegas nerve and immediately I got, I got hired to fill in for Unearth, playing bass. And then after that, I worked at the NBA doing production work and had to work on the All-Star game. And that was amazing. And then the next thing you knew, I decided to move to LA. And out here, you know, I kind of just got into everything, playing with different bands. I started managing a couple bands. I, you know, my writing really started picking up. So that's when I got hired by VH1 and Creative Live. So I was actually kind of paying bills, doing writing for a while, which was really awesome. At the same time, I was still doing bartending. I was still playing with a bunch of bands. So it's, uh, you know, there isn't a whole lot, you know, music really has dominated, uh, what I've done. And now, and I think the writing and the podcast are very similar in that it's really about my perspective and self-expression as an individual outside of a band, which is really a, a collective endeavor. This question is from Rolf Luberoff. You are granted a, you are granted the superpower of resurrection. And you could bring back any three deceased musicians from the grave. Who would you bring back from the dead to play with in, with me in a super group? Uh, who? Damn. That's, that's, that's real. I mean, I mean, I, maybe this is recency bias, but I mean, can you, like, you have to bring back Prince and Chris Cornell, right? Because Prince going to play guitar, and I got to have a singer, but then I don't have a drummer. So then you need a drummer who plays bass, if it's only, if it's only three. 
<laughs> I mean, as far as a drummer, look, I'm going to expand it. So let's say I have those guys because Chris Cornell, I mean, who sings better than Chris Cornell? Probably nobody. Who plays guitar? Because you have Prince playing guitar and then doing as your uh, your second singer. I mean, come on, man. Uh, you know, probably John Bonham on drums. And as far as bass players, uh, Cliff Burton, man. That would be sick, bro. God damn. Hey, Doc, what's your favorite Pantera album? That's a good question. Um, it's actually kind of hard to say because I, I do think Vulgar is the best album, but I can't say I listen to it the most. You know, it's funny. It, it, the one I probably listen to the most is Great Southern Trend Kill, which is kind of weird. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of, you know, to me, b- between Vulgar, Far Beyond Driven, and, and Great Southern Trend Kill, that's, that's, to me, it's almost like one era you know of 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 a band but i do believe vulgar top to bottom is the best album i have a quick oh and that question was from dave evangelista uh from christopher sean what's up chris how you doing caustic shout out what are the coolest shoes you own now later in life i've become a a jordan's head you know air jordans um i used to be too broke my whole life to get jordan so Sorry, just having a little coffee here. I used to be too broke to have Jordans. Um, and my boy Tommy Vexed, one day we went down on Hollywood. And, you know, I don't think he talked me into it, but somehow he incepted me to, to get some Jordans. And my life has never been the same. So now I have probably, I have a handful of, of Jordans, some high tops, some low. Actually, the low tops are probably the most comfortable. But the coolest ones, I don't know, I just got these like, patent leather kind of shiny green ones they're they're pretty cool you know get get some get a few compliments on those um from Luis delgado my homie uh what is hashtag docsplaining or a docsplanation and how does it relate to hashtag docism all right so i'm gonna give you guys some 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 background so me i talk a gang of shit and kind of go off the cuff and say some outlandish stuff from a lot of times and it involves me with my opinions having weird theories and about things and and a take you know you know the doc coil hot take on a particular subject and my girlfriend and and or actually i don't know if it was my girlfriend or or the friends around me just started saying that's a docism you know like oh this is a turn of phrase that has to do with me and then while i was on tour with darkest hour I was like, hold on, let me. I need to doc explain this to you, and give you a doc explanation. And me, I like that because a mansplaining is all about condescension, and I love being condescending to motherfuckers. And then I just make it about me, and then you know, and it, and it becomes real egotistical, and I like that even more. So that's basically when I say some shit that is crazy and really of my take on it, my philosophy. That's that's when you give a doc explanation or or docism. But let's say docism sounds like a disease, like you got some docism on the head of your dick. You know, no one wants that. All right. <clears throat> Troy Statman. Hey, Doc, what have been some of the most powerful life experiences that influenced your songwriting? You know, that's kind of an an interesting way to way to put it, you know, um, Generally, I'm not not the kind of person that can write when I'm depressed. And 
I had a, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it. It's a little, little personal. Essentially, I was going through a really rough breakup and really deep depression. And I had a moment where I connected with that person on the phone and it kind of resurrected me out of the real deep pain I was in. And I wrote the uh, chorus section for the Vegas Nervous song, Do You Know Who I Am? And it like happened. It was very much like A, B, like this happens and then that happens. And that, I, I don't have a whole lot of stories like that, but um, you know, it's it's this kind of thing where, you know, some people they're sad and they maybe they write lyrics or they, they can express themselves. I'm not like that. I gotta be enthusiastic. I have to be in a good mood to me. That's where the creativity flows from. Uh, this is from Adam Ant. Do you see a realistic way for metal music to reach a peak popularity again, like it was in previous generations? <sighs> I mean, I hate to be a downer, but no. <laughs> or at least at, at its at its current, what we think of as metal. I mean, I, I look at some of these bands like um, Bring Me the Horizon, and I see how they're like, you know, their last tour, they're playing in front of 6,000, 7,000 people. They're really building building it up. Uh, this band, All Time Low, is blowing up. And I see these bands that I think it really has to be the new generation. I'm 36 years old. It ain't going to be me. It's got to be the 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds. And maybe us guys who our favorite bands are Megadeth. Oh, by the way, I think I forgot to mention Megadeth is one of my favorite bands. Megadeth is one of my favorite bands. Um it can't be us guys who were waiting for like the thrash revival or the next Judas priest. It has to be something new and it has to, you know, um, it's funny. I was listening to, uh, Zoltan from five from death punch on Jamie Joss's podcast. And he was talking about that aspirational thing of that. Some people don't kind of don't like five finger death punch cause they kind of flaunt their wealth and their, you know, but, but and he's saying that's how why kids turn to hip hop because it's very aspirational in that sense and it has that envious factor and and maybe that that has to kind of be there to a certain degree, um, but I but I don't know I think it could take many forms you know but at the end of the day it's got to be something that's speaking to young people in a big way and I hope it does but um, every kind of genre had its peak and then it fades you know you know it doesn't mean it disappears but it's it's not always at the top. So we'll see. I'll, I'll cro keep my fingers crossed. This is from Eric German, another good friend, uh, lawyer, entertainment lawyer extraordinaire. What was your opinion of the best edition of the New England Metal and Hardcore Fest back in the day? You know, Eric, the, the problem is, God forbid, played so many of those. <laughs> they all blend together to me like i feel like we played it like eight years in a row or something um you know there's definitely some interesting stories like when the first year we played was two, the year 2000 and, we, and they had a third stage which wasn't even so the if you guys have been there the metal fest in new england uh takes place at the palladium in worcester and in this year one of the first years they had a third stage around the corner it wasn't even in the venue and we played at that stage uh kill switch engage played that stage and it was Literally, like, we played in front of, like, 30 people or something. I don't even remember. And Hatebreed was supposed to play that stage. And everyone went over there to go see them play. Packed out. You know, it was a surprise set. And then it got told that they were moved to the second stage. So everyone left and went to the second stage. Even more packed. It was nuts. 
and the band Anal Cunt was on was supposed to play. Hatebreed bumped them, I guess, or maybe I could have those facts wrong. But basically, it was a fight on stage between Hatebreed and Anal Cunt, and that shit was crazy. And dudes from Anal Cunt were in the back, the back while Hatebreed was playing, like "fuck Hatebreed metal," like it was, it was super weird. But that was cool. Uh, seeing Meshuggah, two thousand two. That was the last time I was in a mosh pit. They they played um, a New Millennium Sinai Christ, and I Doc Cole went out there and fucked people up. It was great. Uh, another one from Eric German. What band do you think should have been huge but fell apart along the way? Why do you think it never really happened for them? Can't pick God forbid. That's 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 good because that's a, what a lot of people say to me is that we should have been a little bit bigger. Um, it's weird. One, one of the examples I have is not a band that fell apart, but I still feel like should be a lot bigger, and that's Seven Dust. Um, you know, they have like four gold records, and they're a successful band. They go out and they they kill it. But to me, that band should be like in like Bud Budweiser commercials and playing in like you know playing the halftime of the Super Bowl. Like that's how much how much I, I I think of them, and you know why it happened. I you know I think maybe wrong label, maybe um, it's it's hard to say. You know I don't I don't really know their internal business, but I definitely wish that band was a little bit bigger. Um, another band I I probably say um, American Head Charge. I feel like. That first record was really cool, really underrated, and you know they had a lot of. Um, I'm friends with a couple of those guys, and you know, I'm, and they, I'm sure they they're very open about this. They had a lot of drug problems that really adversely affected the band, where they didn't follow up that first record with a a release that really could propel them to the next level. But they had a they had a nice start. Um, another band I probably thrown there is Nothing Face. I don't know, got a lot of on the new metally kind of side of things, but. I loved Nothing Face, and they had some really good records, but I think they could have made that album, you know, their breakout, and it never kind of came. And I know their singer, uh, rest in peace, Matt Holt, um, you know, had, had some issues with, with substance abuse as well. Uh, so definitely a great band. Johnny Bass, what's up? Whole boy for Mother. Why did you stop wearing pants, and when do you think we can be freed from this horrifying state? I wear pants, Johnny, and um, this aggression will not stand. Fake news, hashtag. Uh, Ty Jamar, favorite hardcore bands that are out now and why? I'll be honest. I have not followed the hardcore scene um, as much maybe as I as I should have. Um, and so I, I wrote this article on VH1 about the best you know, bands, bands you should check out. And a lot of people hit me up. Hey, man, you ain't talking about this band. Talk about that band. And I got exposed to, you know, bands like uh, Harm's Way and um, what's that Metal Blade band? Um, Twitching Tongues and uh, Code Orange, which obviously Code Orange is pretty well known. They're on Roadrunner. They're doing big tours. So I, I wouldn't give myself too much credit as far as keeping up with what's going on in, in the hardcore scene. Um, and not because I, I, I don't like the music. I think hardcore is such a culture and either you're in it or, you, or you're not. I mean, in terms of sty stylistically, it's just not my favorite thing to listen to any anymore. But I love the fact that, you know, bands like Turnstile and, and Code Orange are getting these big record deals and getting a lot of these opportunities. Um, so it, and it's kind of cool even playing with like a band like Darkest Hour who is a metal band, but especially in Europe, still has this foothold within the hardcore scene. The way I look at it, like, I'll always be a hardcore kid, despite 
whatever my lifestyle changes are or whatever. It's like, that's just something, you know, it's its own little fraternity, so to speak. And I have one from Kyle Austin Ewers. Is Zoltan really looking to manage Bad Wolves? He mentioned it in the Josta podcast. If so, does this mean you're back in the game as a touring metal musician? <laughs> Once booking and possible record deals are completed and like the God forbid days. Uh, missing you on stage really dig Bad Wolves. Um, so I don't know if I, I can confirm or deny, but uh, I'll just say that definitely things are happening. And there's a very strong chance that Bad Wolves, you know, that I will be out touring full time with that band because there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of momentum and I'm just uh, I'm just grateful and just going along. Sometimes you just got to go go with the vibe, you know, just just say yes uh, and take great opportunities. I know this band has a lot of potential and yeah, I'm very, very excited. Question from Jerry Suckley. My biggest question is, is if Bad Wolves or Vegas Nerve take off, would you choose one over the other, commercial success over multiple projects? So my my whole theory on this is, you know, life is too short to just be stuck and be in a box. And my whole thing is, I think you should be able to do what you want, you know, and and, and the truth is, Vegas Nerve is not a full-time band, you know, um... And that's for a lot of different reasons. We have members who are in different bands. We have guys who have certain lifestyles who, you know, and we're just being very cautious and we do it because we love it and we do it for the art and we do it because we enjoy playing with each other and we feel like we have something special. Um, And my whole thing is just never force anything. Bad Wolves is something I joined a little less than a year ago. And I understood that it's the kind of project that has that potential because of the people who are in it in it and how good it is so i'm just going with the flow i'm i posted on facebook i'm not leaving vegas nerve but here's the thing if bad wolves is blowing up and we're just really busy then we're just gonna be really busy and then i'll do vegas nerve uh when i have time and as long as the other guys want to do it it's pretty much that simple but I, I never see a reason to quit something unless you have to, or unless there's, unless it sucks, you know, if it's fun, you know, I look at guys like, uh, Corey Taylor, he'd never stopped doing stone sour and he's turned stone sour into a really big band. And that was a band he was in before slipknot. So if anything, I could use this as a way to help that. And they're so different and they really do scratch different, uh, uh, vibes for me. Like Vegas nerve is definitely something that I feel in my heart, uh, creatively. So hope that answers your question. We have a question from Larry Hernandez. Why do you feel, <laughs> why do you feel you always have to be in some band? So this is from the, the infamous meme, meme, Doc Coyle, forever committed to always being in some band. Uh, <laughs> and the, the, the uh, this goes back to a lamb goat comment that I thought was really funny because I'm always doing something. Here's the thing. I just, it's what I know. And I get kind of restless anytime it's been a while since I haven't played a show or something like that. Um, you know, it's it's just something that keeps happening. And I'm lucky where people ask me to do things. You know, I get opportunities. Um, and so I just like being busy. I love getting in a room and making a band sound great. And I love performing. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I have a question from Christopher Stika. 
what inspired you to become the X-Men? Well, for one, I, I just, I am the X-Men. I'm, I'm an ex-member of the band, God forbid. As far as what inspired me to do a podcast, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of podcasts. I listen to them all the time, all day. And I felt, it, in, in many ways, the thing that inspired me was, I felt like it would actually be therapy for me you know, in, in, in a weird way to have these, these talks with, with people that have similar experiences. It's a way, it's almost this excuse to have deep, deep conversations. And I think that's actually important. You know, I think in, in, in many ways, I need those avenues to just open up and connect. I think that's, that's the thing I love about it is just connecting. There's nothing that there's a certain kind of, I don't know, what the the chemical factor that happens in your brain when you have a connection via conversation, but it's something I I crave, and and it's also it's a form of expression. You know, I have this outlet here to talk to you guys about pretty much whatever I want to. So it's really 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 gratifying. This is a question from Jose Diaz: What bands that you haven't toured with before would you like to tour with now, given that they are still around? What bands that you have played with before you would want to play with again? Um, it's weird. I've played with so many bands that I would uh, that would be a dream for uh, me to play with. You know, I still I haven't toured with Megadeth. Never toured with Iron Maiden. Um, you know, I'd love to do any tour with Carcass or At the Gates. Obviously, um, what other bands? At the driving would be would be cool, because um, I guess you know Sepultura. Um, if that if that reunion ever ever happened, that would be really amazing. Um, I mentioned Bar- Baroness, one of my one of my favorite bands. I would love to do a tour with them. Uh, bands I've toured with before, I'd love to tour with Opeth again. I'm, I did a tour when I played with Lamb of God and we opened for Metallica. Gojira was on that tour. It would open that tour, so it would also be amazing just to see that band every day and take, take notes. Um, Alice in Chains, you know, or, or Faith No More or Deftones, all the bands. So all the bands I, I listed as my favorite bands, basically all of them, if they're still around, <laughs> that would be really, really amazing. Um, Adam Leader has a question. This is my man, uh, from the band In Search of Sun. You know, maybe, I, you know, I'll play it In Search of Sun after, song after this question. Uh, cause you guys should check them out. They're an amazing band. Uh, what is my favorite live show ever and why, man, that's, that's tough. You know, I've been to some amazing shows. You know, I'll have to probably just name some of my favorite shows. Cause I don't know if I can pick just one. I have to say Pantera on the extreme steel tour, which is the last U S tour they ever did. Uh, and that was with Slayer, Morbid Angel, Scrape, Static X. They just like Slayer was good. And then Pantera, it was like a new, it was something I've never seen. They was the tightest band having so much fun. The set list was incredible. Um, Metallica, when I saw them on the death magnetic tour in Nork was just mind blowing. Um, the first time I saw muse was at, um, what was that festival? I'm forgetting the name of the festival. This was in at the Meadowlands. It was like an outdoor festival with, um, my chemical romance clothes and just muse was just on another planet. You know, 
I've I've been lucky to see some amazing shows. It's kind of hard to say, you know, put put it all. That's something I have to sit down for a while and really think about. Um, what is your favorite God forbid song that was never or rarely played live? So my favorite God forbid songs usually was the song on the record that was the weirdest or the most like out there. So like on Earth's Blood, there's a song called The New Clear. And we couldn't play the song essentially because Dallas quit. And Dallas was almost pretty much sang lead vocal in the song. And I just thought it would have been really cool to play live and kind of be able to do like a headline show and do a more extended uh, type of thing because the songs in that record were really dense and progressive and, and dynamic. So that would have been really cool. Uh, another one is Washed Out World on Gone Forever. I thought that was a really cool song. Um, and then what was the other song? Oh, Into the Wasteland, which was from Constitution of Trees. And I thought that was one we played right when the album came out. And then we never really played it again for whatever reason. I think it was actually a very technical and, and kind of tough song to play, but it would have been it would have been really cool to play. And then there's actually another song called Move On on Equilibrium, um, which is a song where I, it was the only song where I wrote all the music and all the lyrics and kind of vocal patterns. So it has a lot of personal meaning to me. And, you know, it's not a popular song, but I, I, I think it would have had a pretty cool impact if we could have played it live. And also actually the title track, Constitution of Treason, I think is a really powerful song. Um, which, like I said, with Dallas quitting the band, um, it was hard to do a lot of the songs where he was doing a lot of the, the vocals, you know, so that was definitely a shame. And that actually that question was from Sean Marsh, who actually I gave guitar lessons to good guitar player. Good, dude. Thanks for the question. And I actually had to forgot to play the In Search of Sun song. So I'm going to play a song called the world is yours and it's from the album of the same title check it out
So there you have it. That was In Search of Sun. And they actually they have a new album coming out soon. And I and I have to say, guys, I've done some work with the band kind of in a advisory capacity in it. And I think it's even better than their previous album. So be on the lookout for that. Before we get back into fan questions, I'm going to do another plug for another fantastic Jabberjaw Media podcast. And this one is the Metal Sucks podcast. Now, you know me, big supporter, uh, contributor to MetalSucks.net, and they have a podcast that goes along with the show that I was actually a guest on a whole bunch of times um, with the old guests who have a new podcast called uh, The Metal Podcast. But anyway, they have uh, some new hosts. And it is the premier podcast in the heavy metal community. Every episode features an interview with a member of a well-known band with recent guests, including members of Between the Baird and Me, The Black Dahlia Murder, I Hate God, Royal Thunder, and more. Tune in every Monday for a new episode featuring co-hosts Brandon and Pete, who have great insight on the latest metal news, gossip, they do comedy sketches, and more. Obviously, we are a big supporter of those guys over here. So let's get back into some fan questions. We have a question from Mason Suckley. Who would uh, your dream guests be to have on the show? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I would actually love to get Daryl from Glassdraw on here. I think that would be really, really awesome. Uh, Vinnie Paul. From Pantera, I think would be awesome. Um, I'm trying to think. It's weird. In many ways, I almost don't think about dream guests because in in many ways, this is like a platform for me to talk to my friends um, because I think it's a little bit different when you, when you don't know the person. But, you know, I need to think about that because the truth is if the show grows, I will have more opportunities to talk to people up the um up the ladder you know as as far as fame uh dave lombardo i would i would really love to get on here so well well well, we will have to see uh how that plays out Uh, i have a question from james kramer if you could play one show with four other members alive or dead who would it be and what venue hmm that's interesting actually that mimics a question i had on twitter uh, and this this question was from um, Sitting Duck at uh, WillJack86 on Twitter. I only had one question from Twitter. I don't know what's going on Twitter. You guys are screwing up. Uh, I want to know Doc's new wave of American heavy metal fantasy lineup for a Dream Team super group. Um, and if you would include yourself or not. All right. So I guess those are kind of two different questions. One is just a fantasy lineup and one is like a new wave of American heavy metal. All right. So, so let's do the, let's do the fantasy lineup. Um, and did this one at, yeah, did this one want me to play in it? All right. Yeah. The first one doesn't even have, well, actually no, it, it would have me involved. Okay. So James question. So just anybody, I guess I would, you know, Mike Patton would have to be the singer. Um, you know, I'm keeping Cliff Cliff Burton in the band. All right, I don't care what any, anybody says. So, still going Cliff, the drummer. You know, let's put Lombardo. You know, I, I said Lombardo as my my guest. I think I would have Lombardo on on, on drums. Got to have Dimebag on guitar, right? I think that's pretty much it. You know, that's pretty good. Now, as far as new wave American heavy metal fantasy people, 
who would I do? Who would be who would be my number one pick? You know, probably do Jesse Leach as the singer. I mean, the passion, the the, the chops. You know, can't can't mess with that. Um, second guitar. Who would I have on second guitar? You know what, Mark Morton. You know what? I got to replace Mark. Now we got to team up. All right. I'm feeling that bass guitar. Who would who would we want? Um, hmm, that's a tough one. Should we get Jim from Camira? I don't know. He's cutting hair. You know, I got I got bust his balls because you know now Cleveland's getting their ass whooped. Even though I'm, I'm rooting for Cleveland, but should we get Jim? Who should we get on? Who should we get on bass? Damn, that's a that's a tough one, man. Well, let's get Slow from Unearth, man. Ain't seen that dude in a while. I hope he's doing good. Shout out to Slow. Um, and on drums, hmm. See, I already got one Lamb of God, dude. So, so I, do, I, do I have to get Adler? Now, you know what? I'm getting my main man, Jason, from All That Remains. All right? Even though Adler, I'm thinking about you. You know what I'm saying? I, You know, that would be the obvious choice. Everyone would pick Adler, you know? So, there are they're, they're my, my two different um, super groups that will probably never, ever happen. Uh, from Jesse Christopher, I always seem to have trouble focusing on fretting hand placement while singing and growling. Any good t- techniques for doing vocals while playing that you found are actually effective? Um, I'm not good at playing <laughs> and singing at the same time. It's something, every time I do it, you know, I, I feel like it's, you have to learn that particular hand movement for that vocal. And I, I relate it very much to the uh, patting your head while uh, rubbing your stomach thing. And guys and gals that tend to be good at it, I notice are people that also can play drums, which is the idea of ambidextrous thinking. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not that great at it. It's something, it's every time I do it, it's always, you know, if it's like a complex guitar part, I really try and not sing on it <laughs> if I can avoid it. And I think people like James Hetfield almost configure the vocals to sometimes go with their their um the singing pattern i could be wrong on that but that's what i guess but i i think it is tough and some people just have a have a natural ability to do it next question here uh is from jordan hernandez have you ever gone into detail about why dallas left god forbid if you have no worries i just haven't heard i guess not specifically because the way I look at it, it's not my place. You know, it's not like there's some, uh, you know, lawsuit or something where we're trying to figure something out. You know, Dallas left for his reasons. There are personal reasons. Um, and I can't speak for him. And that's pretty much what it what it comes down to. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. 
So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Um, Matt uh, Swistock has a question. I'm almost positive you talked about this before, but I figured I'd ask. Now that you have many different things going on, do you find it more enjoyable being a band now that it isn't your main gig? Was it not as fun when it was, I guess, your main job. Actually, I think that's a, that's a great question, and I've talked about it uh, a bit on the podcast here and there, but maybe not in specific terms. Um, I think when you have to rely on a band to make a living, and one band, it definitely puts a certain amount of pressure on you to perform in ways that are viable commercially, right? So that means selling X number of, tickets, selling X number of CDs, t-shirts. And, and I think that can cloud your judgment when it comes to making decisions, um, creatively, maybe a tour you might do. So there is something I definitely enjoy about that. And I think, but I think what it ties to is actually maybe about not just in a band or creatively, but in life, maybe not putting all our bags and eggs in one basket when it comes to business, you know, I think you hear about this in the investment community about diversifying your portfolio. And I think in many ways we should try and do that in more ways than one. Uh, our next question is from Steve Gerhardt. Doc, I know you're a big NBA fan. If you had to pick three players of any era to start a team, who you got? Well, first off, why three players? There are five players on a basketball team. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I think this is a little bit of a trick question because if I'm going to start pick three players, I'm just going to pick the three best players of all time, which I probably would say would be MJ, LeBron, and maybe, you know, Kareem, Abdul-Jabbar. You know, maybe you say, hey, we'll get Bill Russell because he doesn't need the ball. He's just going to play re play uh, defense and rebound. So I think that's a little too easy. Um, so I guess that's what I, that's what I got there. Um, JJ Hernandez wants to know how is my relationship with myself and the other members of, of God forbid, and do I think the original lineup will ever reunite? Um, you know, I don't want to go too much into detail with that. I think, you know, I have a good relationship with most of the people in the band. Um, and that, and maybe one or two members, I'm not going to say who, maybe we don't, we're not, we don't have the closest relationship, but there certainly isn't any animosity on my end. Um, I love all those guys. And it's just, I think it's tough, you know, especially with me moving away, it's hard for me to stay in touch with everyone um, back 
on the East Coast just because it's it's just hard to stay in touch. You know, it's you, you got to put forth the effort. Um, and, you know, so I try and stay in touch as, as, as best as possible. But, you know, now it's like people have kids, people are married. It's it's not the easiest, but we, we try and do what we can. Um, will we ever reunite? You know, there's been some offers to play. Um, and, you know, there were some discussions, but it, it did not work out. You know, we will have to wait and see. I personally, I would love to ha- have the band reunite and do some things as long as people wanted to see the band. You know, I don't want to play just because we're trying to recreate some thing that happened in the past. I would want to do it because people have a passion and excitement to want to see the band and have it be powerful. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, time will tell. Uh, question from Todd Anabali. How are you doing, Todd? Good old friend. Uh, will you ever write an audio biography? You've lived an interesting life. If marketed properly, it could be a bestseller. Uh, <laughs> I doubt that. Maybe, you know, if I could. Uh, will I write an audio autobiography? Not anytime soon. I have an idea for another book that I would actually like to start writing this year. Um, it will contain some audio autobiographic elements, but it will not be an autobiography. Um, so I'll just say I'll be attacking a subject from my perspective, which does involve bits of my background. And will it sell? I have no idea. I don't even necessarily know um, if I can get published. We, we shall see. Um, Tan Anabali, a genie grants you three wishes. What do you wish for? Uh, not really into a wish guy, you know. Um, I I think you, you know. I don't know. I I I I just don't live in the kind of fantastical. You know, I'm very much into what am I doing today. You know, my, my wish is just to do things to have freedom and um, flexibility and to be around people I love and enjoy their company. Patrick Brown. What's up, Pat? How you doing? Chi-Town. If Dallas had stayed in, God forbid, would the band most likely be around today? I have no idea. Um, to be truthful, there's a lot of toxic interactions going on around that time in the band. And, you know, that, that whole idea of the chickens coming home to roost, eventually, you know, you kind of have to deal deal with that shit. So it's it's... It's difficult to say, um, but it, it certainly, I'd say Dallas leaving the band kind of opened the door for me leaving the band because I never even thought about the concept of leaving the band before then. Um, so yeah, who knows? So here are some questions from the dot coil pro, you know, the fan page on Facebook from James Fihili. I hope I'm saying that right. How do I get my two-year-old to watch something besides Paw Patrol? I do not know what Paw Patrol is, and they're two. I mean, what? I don't. Do they have a lot of options? I mean, do they? I don't. You know, you're asking the wrong guy. I have no children. You know, I got none for you there, bro. <laughs> uh, a question from Derek Preston Matthews. I would be interested in your take about the Phil Anselmo incident at Dime Bash. You being black and a thrasher would be interested in hearing your thoughts considering you are a fan. And I would assume, not sure anybody has the perspective you do, uh, would be interesting, man. 
I actually wrote a whole article on this. So if you go to www.coil.net, um, the t article is called Time for a Reckoning, Examining the Phil Ensemble Controversy and Backlash. And, you know, to, to kind of sum it up, it was, you know, less about what he did, you know, and more about the reaction to what he did. Because I think we're so willing to uh, be reactionary. And, you know, and I'm, I'm all about tempered responses. Like sometimes I think it's better when something crazy happens instead of immediately lashing out online or, you know, having this emotionally charged response, it's sometimes better, you know, let it wait a week, let it wait two weeks, let the initial emotion settle. And you can kind of think about a subject matter in a much more measured way. So, you know, it's, it's about understanding a, um, he does have a history, uh, B, but also figuring out how we, how do we deal with people that fuck up? You know, um, do we put them in decency jail? You know, you can't come here. You can't work here. You can't, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers there, but, um, you know, it's uh it's definitely a tough subject. So I, I, I suggest you read that article and you can get a pretty good idea of what I think. Um, question from Jonathan Yeager. What's the craziest, as in weird, ridiculous, dangerous, unique, intense concert experience you've ever had, either as an audience member or on stage? Um, that's a good question. You know, probably when I was playing with Lamb of God opening for Metallica, someone hit me in the face with a beer, <laughs> a giant beer in the eyeball at the end of this set. And I ended up, uh, hit, you know, going to the barricade to try and uh, find who did it. And it became like this viral video, but it was definitely a, a surreal moment. You know, I was in Dallas, Texas, you know, I'm opening for Metallica, which is already surreal playing with lamb of God and, and something like that happens. And then all of a sudden the experience kind of gets, gets blown up. Um, but yeah, that, that sucked, but also is kind of infamous and it's just weird and, and also ridiculous. Uh, question here from Matthew Walker. What's your favorite fret on the guitar? Uh, my, his is his is the 14th fret on the B string. Uh, I don't have a favorite fret on the guitar. I mean, you got, you got to use all the frets. Come on, bro. Brian. Bards, is it Brian Bardis or Bardis or Bards? I'm not totally sure. I apologize. See, butchering people's names up here. It's terrible. Uh, what did you find to be the lowest time in your career? And what did you do to persevere through it? Uh, you know, I think there's multiple lows. There was the time when, you know, when we first started, you know, and, and we were supposed to play open up for Seven Dust and we were a local band selling tickets and... Uh, we didn't sell enough tickets. We were supposed to play after Seven Dust. And the show ended before we got a chance to play. That was a real down. Um, but it also inspired the band. I think after the um, determination cycle, where we just we went from being regular dudes to touring full-time for like a year and a half. And then we came home from the touring, which is, you know, this big ego boost. And all of a sudden, we're like back doing the same jobs we were before the tour, you know, which was like cutting cutting lawns. And it was just a real eye opener, you know, and it kind of 
let you know that, oh, all that stuff you did on the, on the road, it's kind of temporary. You know, you can't get too settled into this persona, you know, that the ego, you know, and, but instead I think we, I took the wrong example from that and kind of doubled down to, I need to be on the road. I need to be this important person, you know? So I think that was one low point. And then, you know, I think probably around 2008, we did a tour, God forbid, did a tour with Death Angel, a co-headliner, and we were doing a lot of the same venues we had done when God forbid did our own headline tour like a year earlier, and it it was performing worse, and we had some shows that just didn't, you know, weren't going well, people weren't showing up, and it was kind of the first sign that maybe the band, that, oh, maybe we aren't going to do this full-time, maybe this band is, does have kind of a, a limited life expectancy, you know, so that that was a tough time. So there's there's I think there's many, you know, and I could probably find other stuff later down the road. But, um, you know, it's just. Uh, each one of those moments, is it a low point or is it actually this thing that highlights the reality of things? And I think that's always more important. It's like, you know, um, like it might have already been bad quote unquote bad but it's just this is the reality you know and you got to deal with it and you got to grow from it so it's hard to say man but that's a good question thank you and we have a question from charlie gentile i would love to know how a budget is planned for a tour and what can be done to ensure a more profitable return for bands openers and main thanks well i mean a budget here's the thing about a budget at, at the end of the day it's simple you know, it's addition and subtraction. How much you bring it in and how much is, is going out. Um, the the other kind of element to that is something like merchandise where it's unquantifiable before it actually happens. So one thing I would suggest is to not um, include your merchandise numbers or sales as part of your, your budget. So it's just knowing exactly what's coming in, what's going out, um, and kind of being comfortable with it. So the way I look at it, sometimes it's okay to perhaps break even on a tour, even lose some money on a tour, as long as you know for it beforehand. What what you don't want to uh, have happen, and this is why budgeting is so important, is to have a surprise. You know, is is to have a tour that's um, unprofitable. Or uh, be in a situation like, you know, we, we were in situations where, you know, we would have, you know, the band make X amount of money. And, you know, sometimes we were accumulating debt with our merchandise companies. And that can that can build up real quick. And, it, and it's very common with bands in our uh, in our scene. So it's just about there's only so many things. It's what are you traveling in? How much is your gas costing? You know, are you doing hotels? Um, any crew members? And then you have to know your your guarantees. You know what's what's coming in. The, you know the agent gets this much. How much does your manager get? Is he getting the gross or are they getting the net? Um, so it, it's it's really really important. And it's like I said, it's just just about being prepared. So um, and make sure whether someone in the band or a manager doing it that it gets done because it has to get done early on in our career. We weren't doing proper budgeting and we paid for it, you know? 
Uh, we have a question from Marcus Domkey. Hey, I remember you and Dallas always being there for the fans, you know, talking, drinking a beer, just being there for the fans. Do you think it has reduced in years with bands rather being amongst themselves than having a chat with the people they're making music for? I mean, I can't speak for anyone else. It was always very important with God forbid. I mean, we really were a band of the people in that we never felt that separate. You know, we were we were those guys that were going to have some beers and party and hang out, um, you know, and but to be truthful, I, have to, I think for some bands, it's not really feasible. That lifestyle of just hanging out and drinking beers and doing that, it's just it, it can be kind of unhealthy, you know, and sometimes to maintain your own personal sanity, you have to have some distance from that. You know, you have to play the show and, you know, <laughs> eat some kale and go to sleep early and just be healthy, you know? Um, and I think also too, once a band gets to a certain level, they can't always just hang out because it's overwhelming, you know? So, but I, I do think it's really important, especially for me is to show my gratitude and be there and be present and look people in the eye because the truth is without this support, then we don't have, we don't have a job, you know, we, we don't have any of this. So it's, it's, I've noticed that the human connections I make, um, which I feel like at certain points I've taken for granted, um, that's everything, you know, and one-on-one, -on -one, just understanding, you know, these, you know, people that if you, I've noticed when you sh treat people right and you show them that you care and that the front in that you're, fr it's amazing how many people who are fans just become friends. And if you look at it like that, that, hey, we're all friends. And even though the, the relationship is, in a certain balance where, you know, someone is kind of admiring the other person or kind of being uh, the consumer of the other person that the, you know, uh, that exchange, you know, can be equalized as best as possible. So it's something I care about, but I can't speak for everyone. Um, we have a question from Manny Arezaga. Arezaga. Uh, with the way the music industry has changed, what do you think the best way to get your band um, out there to potential fans? I mean, I think this is kind of the age old question, right? Um, here's the truth. It keeps changing. Uh, what works, you know, it's, it's amazing. Now I, I look at all these bands that are so successful now, like in this moment, five finger death punch, suicide, silence, Whitechapel. They, they got their start on MySpace. And that's gone. You know, um, I look at bands like Periphery and kind of how they broke out in these, you know, online forums and, you know, kind of through the tech kind of geek gear world. And, and maybe that uh, way of breaking out is kind of gone. So it's it's constantly changing. You know, we live in a world where garnering people's attention is the most important currency we have. Right. So. If you have a million Twitter followers, all right, um, how many of those are real? Some of, some of them are bots. What's your engagement like? You know, if you if you send out a post on Facebook, how many people actually are listening to you? You know, um, but the truth is, it's just getting harder and harder to get people's attention. You know, it starts with the product, right? How good is the music? How engaging are the personalities? You know, I mean, people forget a lot of the reason why. 
we were interested in Eminem and Marilyn Manson and people like that was because of these dynamic personalities. You know, Axl Rose wasn't just a great singer. He was this character. He was doing crazy things. He was going, you know, it's, and people kind of have this idea or musicians do that they can, oh, I can just make great music. I can be really good at my instrument and that's all I need. And that's just not true anymore. You know, there's, um, there's so many good players, you know, with no personality, <laughs> with nothing, you know, and it, it sounds stupid, even having a crazy haircut or wearing a cool hat. It's like, we know Slash has a cool hat and hair and a cigarette hanging out like that, all that iconography, it seems like it's surface, but it does matter in, in having you remember who that person is. Even someone like Tom Morello, who we don't kind of look at as this kind of flashy rock star. He has his thing, his hat, his shirt, his little uh, signs on his guitar, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I think in, in many ways, because there's so many resources out there, it's very easy to copy someone else. So someone can look at, um, you know, you know, just the example, it's kind of easy. It's like Misha from periphery and say, Oh, well he uses this guitar and he uses the X effects and these pickups and this recording software. And people think, Oh, if I get all the inputs as this other person, I can, I will get that out. But the truth is what you will get is a very, um, solid and adequate, much, much reduced version of that. You know, um, and that's the thing is we now we know how to kind of copy people, but then you get out of the one or two influencers, you get a few thousand um, derivatives of that that usually are not as potent as the original, unless you're actually just using that one. You know, you know, you, you know. I think the best things are, are through a lot of different influences, and you have to mix and match, and you know, so. It's tough. It, it is It is not easy, but I say experiment. And whatever's working today, more than likely, it'll be something different in in two years. So, you know, this might be, we might, we might need a whole podcast for that question. And we have Jeremy Davidson. Uh, your approach to songwriting, do you build up riffs or do you have a key mode in mind when writing? Uh, I guess I go from a two-pronged method, and that is riffs and melodies right so that's kind of what i consider the tapestry of whatever is is going on that's that's the world i i, I live in you know in in traditional songwriting like singer songwriter you know where they're talking about an elton john or something like this usually for them it's uh chord progressions and then the melody you know the vocal melody and they build around that and then in the rock world riffs are pretty much just as important that's that's the bedrock so so i kind of uh you know in, in many ways when i'm when i'm writing i will try and get to a point of stream of conscious where i'm not thinking about it and I, so i'll try and almost do something else like put on a movie or just not pay attention and then when something comes out that catches my ear. Oh, what, what was that? But the point is to not get there from an intellectual or a pre-planned spot because then it'll kind of cover ground you've already uh, gone over. Um, 
And with melodies, it's just like finding something, you know, because here's the thing. There's so many chord progressions that are the same. You know, you I mean, probably eight out of 10 popular songs have chord progressions that you've heard a million times. There's only so many combinations. So I try and find an interesting way of presenting something we've already heard because the truth is you have heard it somewhere. There's so much music out there. So it's about finding something that is at the end of the day, it's something that we're all uh, used to, but how can I make it personalized? You know? So I guess that's how I go with that. Now, uh, the last few questions, actually, I started a new Facebook page. um, And because my other page was maxed out and I wanted to reach more people because I, I realized on like a professional page, you know, they limit how many people you can reach and they want you to pay, which is fine. But I, I had all these people that are following my page. So I added an, another page. So if you're actually looking um, to add me on Facebook, there are two dot coil pages now. Um, one is pretty much maxed out and the other one is not. So look for that, add me and, uh, you can have a little bit more access to me. So here we have a few questions from here and then we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, I have a question from Bobby Butterfield. What is your favorite song to perform live? God forbid and Bad Wolves. Uh, God forbid, hmm, maybe End of the World or um, Better Days. I don't know. Actually Wicked from Determination. Really fun song to play live. I was always trying to get the guys to do that. And uh, Living Nightmare from Gone Forever is always a fun one. Um, oh, War of Attrition, too. So it's just hard. It's hard, son. Um, and Bad Wolves. I've only played one show with the band, so <laughs> you have to give me some time on that. You know, we have a lot of songs we haven't even integrated into the set. So hopefully after I play for, get on the road for X amount of time, I'll, I'll figure out what, what I like the most. Um, Joey Hendricks, what... What's your favorite thing to listen to outside of metal? Well, the, the truth is I don't, when it comes to metal, I pretty much don't listen to super, super, super heavy stuff that much anymore. If it's like all screaming, I almost don't listen to it. Um, you know, the, like the like the bands I like lately, it's like I played, you know, that uh, track by In Search of Sun. You know, that's kind of almost my more my vibe, you know, 12 Foot Ninja, Volbeat, Baroness, you know, I'm definitely more into stuff that has melody and, you know, um, but as far as like outside of metal, you know, I love Kendrick Lamar, um, you know, that lit last Radiohead record, you know, I've, I've actually really into soundtracks and, um, stuff like that. So like the guy who actually did the uh, stranger things theme. And then like, I love the, the music for, the leftovers and uh Westworld that has some really great music and John Carpenter, you know, that stuff I've been really into. But I listen to so many podcasts that it's actually hard to fit in uh listening to music as as much as I would like to. And to give you guys actually some of my favorite podcasts I'm listening to now, because I think this is always, you know, recommendations one of the best ways to do this. Um This American Life. Obviously, very popular podcast. One of my favorites, um, Waking Up with Sam Harris. Uh, Larry Wilmore, who actually had a show on Comedy Central, has one called Black on the Air <laughs> that I really like. Um, Pod Save America, if you're into lefty politics like me. Um, the Low Post, which is actually my favorite uh, basketball podcast. That's L-O-W-E with Zach Lowe. 
one of the best sports writers. Um, Adam Ruins Everything, which is also a show. Uh, hashtag We The People Live with Josh Zepps. More kind of political talk. Um, Common Sense with Dan Carlin is um, also more politics. As you see, I like, basically it's for me, it's like sports, entertainment, uh, politics. Um, 538 Politics Podcast is great. Uh, the Cracked Podcast is probably my favorite, even though the uh, host is leaving. And uh, the Bill Simmons podcast, which is also very, very popular. So that's a lot of stuff I listen to. And, you know, Freakonomics radio is amazing. So I listen to a lot of different things. So on to the next question. Um, what's the best advice you can give to an aspiring metal hard rock musician who doesn't fall into the straight white cis dude archetype? Well, I mean... I think in, in many ways, it actually gives you an advantage. You know, I, th I think with God forbid, in many ways, the story was that we were a black band, you know, and it makes you stand out. You know, I look, I'm here in LA, you know, I'm good friends with uh, Courtney Cox and Nita Strauss, you know, you know, who are both in the Iron Maidens and Nita's careers taking off playing with um, Alice Cooper and her, her new band, We Start Wars. And being a female, you know, she stands out. She's just not like every dude with long hair and a, you know, in a bullet belt, you know? So I think in many ways, it's all about just being yourself and, you know, and, and, and just understand, you know, there's one thing like being a solo artist and there's nothing like joining another band. When you're joining another band, you kind of visually and image-wise have to fit their thing. So... That's always going to be a factor. So obviously, if you're gonna join Amon Amarth, you know, and you look like Chuck D, <laughs> maybe it's not gonna work out, you know. So I say be, be yourself and and stand out. Be weird, you know. That's what you know. I look at someone like um, John John Five, you know, um, who's in um, Rob Zombie's band. Like the dude, dude shreds all day. But he's in Rob Zombie. That's not a shred band. He's part of the reason why he's in that band is because he looks like a psychopath. You know, that's that's what it's all about. Emmy Holdsworth wants to know what bands or artists made you want to get into music. Um, I mean, my early stuff, you know, it's probably almost the same as everyone that came up in the early 90s. It was Metallica, Guns N' Roses, uh, Queen on like the Wayne's World soundtrack. Um, when I got a little older, it was... It got into heavier stuff. It was Slayer, Pantera, Sepultura, you know, pretty much, you know, everything that was on Headbangers Ball at the time. Uh, Alice in Chains. Also, you know, a lot of the grunge stuff too. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, etc. Um, <clears throat> any musical piece of gear you own played that is severely underrated? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I actually, I'd say my amps, the EVH 5153s are... I've been playing them since 2010 and there's nothing I want that they can't do for me, you know, and that, and that I kind of followed that Tom Morello thing of that guy's been playing the same Marshall for 50 years or however long he's been playing. And it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. At the end of the day, you're going to sound like you. Uh, another thing is I have this, uh, Digitech whammy DT, which stands for down tune. And it's actually a whammy pedal that you can change tuning, you know, so I can go down a half step, whole step, up and allows me to do a gig with multiple tunings with one guitar and it's been super invaluable and that was from zachary sullivan 
I have another one. Actually, I already answered Charlie Chantil's question. Um, I have one from Gerald Prado. What's your riff process like? Lock yourself in a room, noodling, watching TV, uh, wake up at 3 a.m. with riff dreams. I guess I kind of already answered this one. Um, yeah, it's just kind of shut your brain off and just play and try and find something that stands out, you know. And then sometimes I'll have a situation where it's just get the idea down in its very rough form and then cultivate it and massage it until it becomes what you want it to be. Um, yeah, and just put it put it in because just because you have a riff does not mean you have a song. So then it's like, how do I integrate this into something? And sometimes you never do. Sometimes you have those riffs that kind of just end up out there. But the way I look at it, a riff is never dead. Uh, from Daniel Morrow, did you ever have a pre-show ritual, some weird thing you did to get in the, in the zone? Uh, I think everybody has has their thing. Um, you know, always stretch. <laughs> uh, I think sometimes, you know, having, you know, show clothes, you know, just kind of putting your clothes on puts you in the mindset. Um, I personally like to have a drink or two to kind of settle my nerves. I'm really the type of person that needs to get amped up on stage. I actually need to calm down, um, you know, warm, just physically warming up, especially if I'm doing a more aggressive uh, type of music, whether that's God Forbid or Bad Wolves or Dark Stour, you know, with Vegas Nerve, I don't have to warm up that much. The music is a bit more relaxed and, and less uh, strenuous, but um, there's no like specific ritual. I definitely personally like to have a clear head. Like I prefer not to have a ton of people around or having to like cater to guests and get getting people into the show. I like to focus on the show. I think that really kind of gets you in that, the, the mindset the best. Um, Anthony Esperanza also asked about Zoltan from Five Finger Death Punch. Cannot confirm nor deny. Um, Clyde, or I'm sorry, Kyle LD. Eld? I'm screwing names up, guys. I do apologize. Who did you crush on in Kill Switch Engage the most when you toured back in the day uh, through Struggle? When, when through Struggle was fresh as fuck. And poison the well. I don't, I don't even know what's happening um, in that question. Um, they're 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 very nice fellows. All of the the kill switch engages and all the poison the wells. Very very nice people. Um, didn't didn't need to crush on them. Just 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 like them. Um, Reject the sickness is an all time classic album, and will always will be. Uh, what sort of headspace were you in when writing that material back then? And now bad wolves. How has the creative thought process grown and what do you feel has changed? So for those who don't know, Reject the Sickness was the first God Forbid album ever. Um, and I'd, I'd say that the mindset really was try and fit literally every <laughs> influence into every song. So it was a million ideas in one in one song, you know, and, and it was very much riff salad you know we weren't thinking in terms of songs we were thinking in terms of what can be the craziest thing or what it was almost like um you know if some you know if some magician learned a trick it's like all right i gotta throw the bag of tricks at everyone to impress everyone and we didn't really understand songs you know what we were trying to do it was very much an expression of the moment there was no grand scheme it was just trying to be heavy and fast and crazy and kind of show off what we could do 
you know, and be extreme. Uh, and actually, I'm probably going to, you know, I'm going to play a Reject the Sickness song so you guys know what, I, know what I'm talking about. Because sometimes I talk about it, but unless you were there, you really don't know. And some people think it's our best record. I don't think it's even close, but, you know, to each his own. But it is very much of the kind of, I think, the metalcore aesthetic of being crazy, being noisy, being all over the place. And a lot of, it's funny how, how that has kind of existed to this day in that world where, like, if we would have kept that sound, we would have been kind of this band in that scene. But our taste changed and what we wanted to do, um, you know, as far as today, you know, now I think in terms of songs, you know, I, I look at um, a song like U2, Where the Streets Have No Names, and it's one chord progression for the whole song. And it's one of the greatest songs ever written. And to me, it's like, all right, I can learn something from that, you know, but then I can also look at Master of Puppets and there's like 10 riffs in that song. And why is that great? You know, and what is, you know, and, and you, you know, you understand that there's different types of songs you can write. There's this way of being experimental and going out there and, you know, but I'm just not into the idea of playing something crazy for the sake of being crazy. To me, it's all about what's the emotion of the, of the song. And uh, one last question. Wow. It's a long, it's a long, lot, lot of talking. I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing me. Uh, this is from DJ Ross. How do you pass the time when being on tour and far away from the people you loved at home? Is there anything to help with the loneliness of the road? I have to say, I think this is um, probably one of the most important questions about, you know, what it is to be on tour and, and to be away and one of the most difficult things to deal with. And, you know, something you'll probably notice listening to this show, one of the themes that, that comes up with why pe people end up leaving uh, these band situations, which from the outside looking in looks so glamorous and so amazing. Oh, you get to rock out every day and party every day. And you know, that, that, that other time when you're not on stage can be tough, you know, and I, I personally believe you have to, the, the, your best bet is to fill that time with productivity, whether that's working out or reading or, or, you know, working on projects like this or other music or, um, you know, the, the truth is free, spare time can be one of the most valuable things a human can have. Because most people, especially uh, in, in the West, we don't have that. We have jobs that we work 60 hours. People have children. They have obligations and they don't, you know, many people are getting to that uh moment where they have spare time and it freaks them out, you know, because boredom in many ways is tantamount to depression, you know, so because it's, it's this, this idle mind, all of a sudden you start thinking about things you never thought about and you're, you get caught up in that. So on the road, it leads to a lot of drinking, a lot of drug use. You know, I think being untethered to, to some, kind of grounded reality, you know, and, and there is something kind of unreality about touring, especially when the band gets big and all of a sudden you have someone who is getting your food and getting your water and getting your towels. And, and that's not the real world. When you're at home, you know, no one's getting anything for you. You gotta, you know, you gotta mow your lawn and you gotta go to the mail, you know, you gotta go to the uh, post office, you know, it's, um, so, and that's something I'll be honest, you know, as things ramp up, I'm getting a little worried about, you know, I've been domesticated more or less 
in the time since God forbid was, uh, was really busy. And now I'm looking at this other lifestyle, like, Ooh, almost, you know, uh, trepidatiously, you know, so it's going to be an interesting journey, but you know, that's what life is about. It's about challenges, you know, um, being comfortable is not always the best way to be because, um, you know, you, you get soft <laughs> and you have to, you have to keep moving and keep, keep growing. But I look forward to actually reapproaching it as an adult, as someone who has a, a better sense of things, a better sense of himself. So I think that's actually a really great question to end this on. So with that said, I'm going to play a song, uh, from God forbid's first full-length album, Reject the Sickness, which came out in 1999 on 9-Volt Records. And this song is called N2. And the reason why I'm playing it is because that was our thought process. It was called N2 because it was the second new song we were working on. <laughs> and I'm playing it because it, it was very much a snapshot of where we were as songwriters. There, you'll, you'll see how much how the song is very ADD. I don't think it's the best song on the record, but I, I think it it kind of illustrates where we were at the the most. And and there's something very elementary about it to me, but there's something also very charming about the naive nature of how we approached uh our song composition of the moment. Uh but yeah, I'm gonna play this song. Please rate and review the X-Men on iTunes. Um Please, you know, just keep spreading the word. And if you, you know, if you want to sponsor the show, hit me up uh, at actually started a new email, uh, the X Man Podcast at gmail.com. That is EX or on social media. If you have a band, you want to play a song, uh, throw me a few shekels and we can, we can make it work out and get some exposure. Anyway, thank you guys. I hope the first uh, Q&A episode worked out well. Anyway, you guys be good. Mamba out.
This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.